The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Or someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio with host Dr. Bill Freya. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is Dr. Bill Freya. Hello and welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya. I am the co-founder of Autism Spectrum Therapies and a clinical psychologist who's been working with individuals with autism for nearly 25 years. Autism Spectrum Radio brings you discussions with some of the world's most accomplished researchers, clinicians, and advocates for individuals with autism. We provide you with the perspective and advice of parents, educators, clinicians, and legal experts like today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about planning for a child's educational program and some of the legal issues in that process and the rights the parents have. It is always difficult for parents to plot an educational path for their child. Most parents aren't educators or lawyers, and when special education becomes the new focus for them, the terms and the, and the lingo are often foreign. Parents can feel like they're at a disadvantage coming to the table to discuss their child's needs in this specialized context. And the first odd term a parent might hear is the IEP, or the Individualized Educational Program. And this is the document that defines that specific child's educational goals and the way that those goals will be met. Uh, this IEP is accompanied by an annual meeting or possibly more to gather a team that will include the parents. And in fact, the parents are the most important uh, folks on that team. And that's what we're talking about today, how to prepare for that. The IEP meeting is designed to help determine the goals and educational methods that will be implemented for the child. And this meeting can determine the child's future by defining the resources that the school district will be giving the student for that year and possibly for, for future years. And let me repeat that because I think that is, uh, that's critical. This meeting can determine the child's future and it defines what the resources will be for the child in their educational environment. And isn't that huge? That's, the implications for that are enormous. And you would think that there would be many, many resources to prepare the families. But there, there aren't a lot, and sometimes they're hard to find, and we'll be focusing on that today. A family needs resources to inform them what to expect. Uh, how do they prepare for this meeting and, and to understand this document? And who do they invite to the meeting? Who do they, who do they bring? Uh, and which professionals should they see ahead of time to measure the child's needs and to gauge his potential? Because that's where the goals are going to come from. Um, what do you even bring to the meeting? Do you bring a big stack of assessments? Do you bring family members? Do you bring a lawyer, a bottle of wine? What do you bring to help you uh, prepare for such a critical and, and for a lot of parents, parents, a very stressful event? And it doesn't have to be. And, and getting prepared and, and knowing what your options are are a big part of that. Our kids need a strong, comprehensive IEP process. Every one of them deserves that. And we're going to spend some time today diving deeply into that uh, with an accomplished uh, special education lawyer by the name of Michael Jewell. Uh, he'll be coming on with us right after the break. Uh, you can learn more about uh, him and some of the resources that he provides at uh, jewellawoffice.com. I encourage you to look at that. Uh, the goal today is, is not, though, to convince you to, to go and get a lawyer, to talk to a lawyer, to bring a lawyer to your IEP. Uh, most, most cases don't require that. But instead, what we want to do is give you a perspective of how to think of the IEP process and how to prepare yourself. Uh, Michael's great for that. He does workshops for families and, and spends his days and nights thinking about things like IEPs. He'll have a lot to share, and hopefully uh, you'll take away some good resources and uh, a new knowledge or maybe perspective of special education. 
Uh, today, we're not going to be talking about specific educational approaches, uh, not this week anyway, but you can go to our website at autismtherapies.com to see some of the upcoming topics and the experts that we'll have on educational and clinical strategies. Um, our site also has a broad list of resources that you can look at on educational and clinical topics, including some tip sheets on a range of topics that families have requested, one of which is how to prepare for your IEP. So I encourage you to, to look at autismtherapies.com in that regard. Uh, special education for children with autism uh, might be different than some listeners might be envisioning. If you haven't uh, been to an IEP or have a child with autism, uh, you might be surprised. And, and the reason is our kids are so dramatically diverse. Children with autism can have severe cognitive deficits, or they might be gifted in many areas. They might have limited speech or pretty good conversational speech. It depends on the child. Uh, their social skills needs can be uh, very diverse as well. A student might need help tolerating play with peers, or they might only need some help understanding the social rules of uh, particular games on the playground or other complicated places. Uh, there may be significant challenging behaviors or few behavioral needs at all. So you see, you can't uh, really know what you're going to expect going into an IEP meeting for a particular child uh, with autism at any given time. Uh, there's not a packaged solution. Uh, there's not a predetermined plan. Uh, the district's not going to kind of pull out a sheet and say, okay, here's what we do for our students with autism. Uh, there's really only the IEP process to assess the student's needs and devise an individualized educational program for that student and implement it with staff who, who hopefully have been trained and, and know how to do that. Uh, the IEP also needs to ensure that the child's progress on each one of those goals is measured properly to, to make sure that we're having the right benefit for the child. So uh, changes can be made uh, mid-year or or at least having the right data going into the next IEP meeting to, to make the right decisions. There's no valid way around that process. That's why it's really critical that we walk into it knowing how to be prepared and how to advocate uh, for your child. Uh, you have to get each part right, and kind of to go over it, there's, there's those four parts, assessing what the student needs and writing some measurable goals for those needs, uh, agreeing on uh, how the student is going to be taught, the methodology piece of all that, and then making sure the right people are measuring uh, the progress. And sometimes a parent and a school district will disagree on what the child's needs are. And uh, there may be a need for legal advice on how to work out those differences with the school district. And remember, the IEP we're talking about is a legal document. It's federal law. Uh, and the the process of, of negotiating is is sometimes complicated because there, it's it's such an important uh, such an important piece of paper. In in most communities, a special education lawyer is hard to to find, and it might even uh, even if you had one in your area, how would you know when when you need educational? Uh, I'm sorry, legal advice. Uh, do you need someone to kind of hold your hand, uh, maybe an advocate or another parent, or is is there some type of a disagreement or a, a fight that's happening? Most parents I speak to are looking to avoid a fight with their school district. Who wants to fight their school? I mean, usually you want to be liked by your child's teacher and principal. And almost always they have a good heart and they want what is best for the student too. But what happens when you fear that um, they're not doing all that can be done and your child's future is at stake? More than ever, parents uh, of children with autism are researching everything they can find. Uh, they may walk into an IEP meeting knowing more than anybody about how to educate children with autism at that point. But how do you balance having that information with maybe feeling like you have the least power at the table? And that is what I get asked all the time. Parents will say, Bill, I feel powerless, and sometimes I'm scared to walk into that room. I, I don't want to be that parent, you know, the one they talk about, uh, the one who's a pain or a troublemaker. Um, these, these teachers are already working hard for my child, and they're not being paid enough to, to teach kids with autism. And uh, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want them to take it out on my child. Um, I, you know, I just, I just want to do what's right. And, you know, that's, you know, the tone of what we're talking about today is, is, is empowering, understanding the process, and, and how to be a, a good, active, and productive participant on that IEP team. 
so we're going to take a break, after which I will be welcoming today's guest, uh, Michael Jewell. And we'll start out by diving into the IEP discussion. How do you prepare for a meeting that determines your child's education? Uh, that's a big question, and it seems like a good place to start. So after the break, we'll dive into it with Michael. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Need to replace aging IT infrastructure? Want a way to scale IT resources on demand? Looking for affordable disaster recovery alternatives? Then maybe the cloud is for you. If you aren't sure where or how to start, CenterBeam can help. Over the past decade, we've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and for a limited time are offering a 25% discount on a cloud readiness assessment. It includes detailed recommendations for your transition to the cloud and is yours to keep. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Everyone deserves a life filled with happiness, confidence, and achievements. Code Metro, developers of NPA Works Business Management Software, is proud to partner with Autism Spectrum Therapies and its efforts in creating futures for individuals with autism. To fulfill our duties, we promise a special needs product that helps organizations operate efficiently, providing them with a business system that evolves as rapidly as they do. The results? A streamlined practice to help maintain quality services. Discover how we help businesses succeed at npaworks.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Uh, again, this is Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm Dr. Bill Freya. And we are going to be talking about the IEP process, planning the edu educational uh, program for individual kids. We'll be talking to a brilliant lawyer, uh, Michael Jewell. I want to just uh, say up front, and um, whenever we're talking about legal issues, we want to make sure that we're clear that the information uh, we are talking about in, is an interview, and it's for general purposes only. I want to make sure you understand it's not legal advice, and uh, your use of it does not create an attorney-client relationship. We're just having a good discussion. Any liability that might arise from your use or reliance on the information presented during this interview is expressly disclaimed. So we just have to say that before we introduce Michael. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Michael Jill, graduated from Brigham Young University Law School, has been practicing attorney for more than 18 years. His experience in special education law includes representing parents of children with all types of disabilities, autism through learning disabilities, traumatic brain injury. Uh, he's done many presentations, and uh, he's also represented families in the United States District Court and has argued before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, done some amazing work. He's a brilliant guy. Uh, welcome, Michael. Thank you so much. Great. Let's let's dive into it. Um, and I guess the, the the big question is, where do you start when a family comes to you uh, for help preparing for an IEP? What's involved in getting the the parents ready? Well, much of that is a function of where they are at in the process. If we're talking about a child who's transitioning from uh, regional center services to district services at the age of three, more at the beginning of the process, we engage in quite a bit of discussion dealing with 
evaluation process and how things are proceeding. If the parents are already involved with an IEP, then we tend to look more at where they are at and any procedural items that have arisen or substantively what their concerns are. Right. So uh, I'm assuming that parents are, especially for their first IEP, but in general, they're looking to bring to the IEP some information about their child. They've got an idea of what they expect. Where do they where do they get those evaluations? Does a school district typically say, you know, be prepared for the IEP, go go and, and get some assessments, or are families going to a single place, or are they really responsible for searching around in the community to find the, the right professionals? Well, you know, that's a great question. A lot of that's going to be a function of what information they have available at their fingertips versus what they have to go out and find. Oftentimes, families with a child on the autism spectrum already have had service from various providers, so they already have a resource available to them. So they could go to those individuals and say, look, I need you to um, prepare not necessarily a full assessment, but just some observations of my child, or if you have some recommendations, they may already have in their quiver some reports that have been completed beforehand. The important thing is long before the IEP meeting to determine what information you want that IEP team to consider and make sure that you have it available to them in a format that's usable. Got it. And, you know, when, when we see these evaluations, these assessments, generally um, there's a statement at the end or a summary or general, general recommendations that maybe a speech pathologist, a psychologist, a behavioral uh, specialist, they're, they're giving some recommendations. And I'm assuming that families sometimes need help pulling that all together to decide what am I what am I looking for to be the goals of this IEP? Is that something that, I mean, from, from a legal perspective, are you helping them at that level to, to kind of craft our, how to articulate their expectations from what's happening from these assessments? I do. Generally, what I like to do is if a family is going to get an outside assessment, I ask if the assessor would provide that to me in advance of finalizing it. I never ask an assessor to compromise their professional judgment. However, I do help them with word choice because oftentimes uh, there will be information provided in the report which may be helpful for the family but is not necessarily germane for purposes of the IEP team. So it's very important that the report be clear and that the recommendations of the report be based on the information that was found and the goals that the assessor is recommending. One time, often what happens is that the assessor will make a recommendation for services but not provide a foundation for where that recommendation is derived. Right. Uh, yeah, words are very important, aren't they, for a legal document? They need Extremely. to be right. <laughs> so the family is gets prepared. They've, they've got assessments. They've got an idea of where their child's functioning level is, what, what potential there is, what they would like to have accomplished in the year. Uh, they, they walk into that, uh, that room and sit down at the table what what can uh, they expect? What is the expectation for the family at, at that point as, as a member of that IEP team? Well, if the district is doing their job, the family should receive prior to the IEP meeting a written notice identifying the purpose of the meeting, the start time, the location, the date, and then also those individuals who will be participating in the meeting. So before the family arrives at the meeting, they should know who will be present at the meeting. At the same time, the family does have the right should they choose to exercise it, to invite any individual they believe that might have specialized knowledge with respect to their child. That might be a family member. It could be a therapist. It could be um, a regional center worker. It could be an advocate or an attorney. Wow. So, so they have some decisions in that regard. And what would be – obviously, bringing a family member is, is comforting. And, um, you know, I've, I've – I've talked to families who kind of feel like, well, the district might have five people there. They might have their speech pathologist and they might have um, someone from their behavioral team and, and the teacher and who's leading the IEP. And if there's five of them, I want there to be five of us. <laughs> kind of this feeling of, of not wanting to be outnumbered. And it, it, it doesn't have to be that contentious, but at the, at, in, in one regard, it seems like when when you're bringing a lawyer, there's a different tone than when you're bringing your, your sister and your neighbor, right? Well, I think that's true. I, I, what you say is, is exactly correct, and that is I always recommend that 
an individual, bring someone with them, even if it's grandma who understands nothing about the IEP process. Bring someone so you're not alone. As far as when you bring an attorney, a lot of it's going to be a function of whether the district's been doing their job and the approach that is taken. I often say, if you've done everything right, you have nothing to be afraid of, and at least as I approach IEP meetings, my perspective is that I'm approaching the IEP meeting, I'm going to be firm but diplomatic. I will be polite, I will not scream, but at the same time, I will make sure that the district is following through with its obligations. Right, and I think for for some parents, there's uh, a, there's a feeling of comfort. They'll they'll put a, a their child's photograph on the table to make sure that there's kind of an understanding that we're really talking about Tommy and his needs here to uh, kind of have this mutual understanding that, you know, we're doing what's best for the student. Um, oftentimes, uh, they'll feel like the district might forget that because it's so formal, it, it's so documented, and it, it's foreign to the family in somewhere to, to be in this process of, of the IEP because it's, it's, it's often not a casual casual experience. It's often something that, that feels very, very heavy for them. So uh, for some families in that regard, they don't want to, they, they're very afraid to bring a lawyer because it's, it's like coming armed. It's like, you know, pulling the sword out and <laughs> saying we're serious. And it's good, you know, I, I think like you're saying your approach, you want, you want to have a lawyer who's, who's not going to, who's not going to start slamming on the table and making it really hard for the family, right? Right. Uh, so what what would they expect from the meeting then? They're coming into the meeting and and uh, there's generally a presentation of the assessment. What will the family be asked to do at the meeting? Uh, I mean, are there expectations the district has that the family is going to be presenting? Well, and I will speak specifically to California for those individuals who are in other states that may depend on where they are. Generally, I recommend that a family prior to the IP meeting provide written notice to the district that they will be attending that they will be audio recording the meeting, which in California you have a right to do so, and then requesting in advance of the meeting copies of all the goals, the present levels of performance, and all the assessments. That way, when they arrive at the meeting, they are equally prepared as the members of the district to participate in the process. When the meeting actually begins, the anticipation of the district is the parents will be, identify, will be able to identify their concerns for their child and um, any particular areas they want to address. So I also recommend to families that they kind of lay out for themselves notes of their concerns. And they may not be able to identify what the label is in the profession. They may not know that you know oral motor difficulties are, are labeled apraxia, but they should be able to say, I have concerns because my child does this or because my child doesn't do that, or I notice that my child is different than other children of his or her age in this regard. And those are the type of things I recommend that the family be prepared to address when they come to the meeting. Well, that does sound, it does sound like there's a, an expectation from the district that, that the parent has done a certain amount of homework. Uh, and I, I guess I would assume that it would, in, in some regards, be easier for a district if the family just kind of came and were ready to sign and say, just tell me what classroom he's going to be in. But the more homework that a parent does, the more that they're prepared to talk about their child's needs, probably the more involved the IEP is going to be, the longer it's going to be, um, different options are going to be discussed. It's not just about, you know, we're going to put your child in a classroom with kids with autism. It's, it's we're going to put your child in the right classroom and, and, or in the right education, educational context with the right support. And as a parent, the more that you understand that, I'm assuming... Uh, the more opportunities you're going to open up at the IEP for your child, right? Let me go back to something you had said. I think actually the district expectation is that you won't be ready to go in the meeting. They will be able to provide you something that they feel that you're just going to sign, and they'll be able to hurry up and get to their next meeting. I do believe that if you do come prepared, you're going to earn a level of respect that other parents don't have and that the district understands that they're going to be held accountable for what happens, and they should. That's what the law is designed to do. Uh, well, well, that's that's a huge statement. Um, what would be what would be a couple of ways that a parent early on in the meeting coming in could demonstrate that knowledge or demonstrate that they're a parent that does, that should be given that level of respect? Well, I think the first thing is once the written notice is given, the school district's going to understand that this parent has an understanding of their rights, and they're going to be desirous to meaningfully participate in the IEP process, which is their prerogative. I think also that when the parent comes to the meeting and they have notes and they're prepared for a discussion, 
that's another way. And the third way is if the district attempts to do anything which would be unfair to the parent in the process, for example, the parent requested the assessments in advance of the meeting. On the day of the meeting, they're handed a 25-page psychoeducational report, and they tell the parent, well, we're going to go over this and set goals. The parent could look them straight in the eye and say, well, I'm an equal member of the IEP team. I requested this report in advance. I will not be prepared in this report. So while you may want to talk about this report a little bit, frankly, we're going to have to discuss this at another time. They're recognizing their role as the most pivotal person in that meeting. Uh, that's, that's, that's something I want to dive into we're right after this break. We're going to take a quick break and discuss that in some detail. Um, we'll be back with uh, more information for planning a child's IEP. Um, I do want to take a quick second to thank a couple of our sponsors, uh, Code Metro and Centerbeam for making this show possible. We'll talk to you in just a second. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. At Autism Training Solutions, we know what it's like to work with children with autism. And we know what professional development can do for a school, a child, and a family. That is why we want to give 50 schools in the U.S. access to ATS professional development for a whole year. All you need to do is tell us how ATS would make a difference for your team in a one-minute video or a 500-word essay. For a complete set of rules, visit AutismTrainingSolutions.com backslash contest. Shepard Mullen Richter in Hampton is a proud supporter of Autism Spectrum Therapies. Shepard Mullen is a full-service law firm with more than 570 attorneys in 14 offices located in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Companies turn to Shepard Mullen to handle corporate and technology matters, high-stakes litigation, and complex financial transactions. For more information, please visit shepardmullen.com. BDO is dedicated to service, from serving our clients to serving the communities in which we live and work. Through BDO Counts, our national corporate volunteer program, employees across the country volunteer their time, talent, and resources for the good of local communities. And now, BDO is proud to support Autism Spectrum Therapies. We believe in doing our best to make the world a little better. That's why people who know community involvement know BDO. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. And welcome back, uh, Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. We are talking with Michael Jewell, an attorney specializing in special education. And we were in the middle of talking about IEPs and specifically uh, how a parent presents themselves, comes prepared, and how they handle uh, issues within the IEP that they might not have been expecting. So if a parent is thrown a curveball, and I guess those could come in a lot of different um, forms, Maybe the the folks at the meeting are saying, well, you know, we've got you know ten minutes left. Let's get through this. Um, maybe somebody has to leave, and the parent was expecting to have uh, a more in depth conversation about what's appropriate for their student's education. Um, or suddenly there's a, a form, an assessment, or information that the parent hadn't seen before that the district is uh, presenting that should be weighed heavily for making a decision about the child's education. So, so Michael, what is it? What, what can a parent do in, in in that regard when they they suddenly feel like the meeting is is not in their control anymore? Well, one thing I generally suggest to parents is that they can determine what to do depending on what their strategy is. Uh, and the example I give is. If for some reason you did not receive a copy of the APE report, and it's a page and a half, and you get that at the IEP meeting, that's probably not your biggest concern. You may overlook that. If for some reason you get a very large report that you were not provided in advance, you can certainly let them know that you want that report discussed in another meeting. Also, you have the ability to, during the meeting, prepare your own notes and request that those be attached to the IEP. When that is done, I generally suggest 
that they not try and itemize everything that occurred, but at least hit the highlights. Since you're not the note taker for the IEP notes in the printed copy, chances are that the events that occurred during the meeting that may not be documented the way you want. For example, sometimes an outside professional will make specific recommendations for services, and the IEP notes will reflect um, that Dr. Jane spoke about services without even saying what she said. So those types of things. And that can be handled either through notes that are written during the meeting, handed to the district and requested they be attached to the IEP, or alternatively, sending a letter within a short time after the IEP was concluded to note that there are several items or events that occurred during the IEP meeting that were not documented in the notes and should be part of the notes. Right. Now, from, from your experience, typically is the IEP process done in a single meeting? Um, wow. <laughs> I've represented uh, so many different children with so many needs over the years. It really depends on the situation. I, I will say this. For an initial IEP meeting for an autistic child or for a triennial IEP meeting for an autistic child, unless the child is very high-functioning and we're only looking at some social skills goals, it's going to be very difficult to complete that IEP in just a matter of a couple hours. So it usually takes more than one meeting. If you are going through a triennial IEP meeting and your child has a lot of needs and they're trying to push it through in a matter of a couple hours, chances are something isn't going right because that's not a meaningful discussion. And it, it seems to me like uh, oftentimes a school district will, will, will come sit down and they'll strongly give the expectation that they would like to get it done in that single meeting. And and it, it, a parent might not realize that that's, that time pressure isn't fair. It's not something that, that they have to feel, uh, be a victim to. And, and, and I've seen that, that that be very stressful for families. What are, what are some things, you know, just some, some basic advice for parents to, um, to make it clear? I mean, obviously, just saying, well, you know what, guys, we'll have to meet again. I, I need more time. More, more formally or more appropriately, how do they indicate that to a district? Well, that's something else that can be handled through the written notice. If, if you know you're coming up for the initial IEP or a triennial assessment review, you could go ahead and state in, in that written notice, I see that the IEP meeting was scheduled for two hours. I will indicate right now that it's my impression that it will take much longer knowing the needs of my child and the discussion that will need to take place. I'm requesting that a second IEP date be set. You can say that up front. Also, oftentimes, I'm asked to come into an IEP meeting late in the process. I will start the meeting off, and that's the very first thing I'll say. I'm going to be right up front. I don't think we're going to do it today. Let's get done what we can, but let's plan that we're going to have to come back another time. Right. I'm sure that makes it easier than the family, too, uh, just setting the right tone. So uh, so we've talked about you know the curveballs and, and, and needing time and, and needing to have the information equally to be part of the team. Let's kind of go to the next, maybe more difficult question. What if things just aren't going right for the family? Uh, maybe they're not being listened to or what's being offered doesn't seem to be appropriate for the child. There's, there's a big disconnect or disagreement um, that, you know, sometimes that's, that's unavoidable, uh, especially with kids with autism and the, and the types of services that are uh, often uh, expected, uh, things like applied behavior analysis and, and, and stuff that doesn't always come up in, in other IEPs. Uh, how do they get the right outcome, and what, when do they need uh, legal, legal, legal help? And, and more importantly, when do they actually need a lawyer at the table? Okay. Let me break that up into two parts, if I could. The first part, I'll answer what are the potential ways that they can address it, and then I'll answer the second part about the attorney. As to the first part, there are probably three general ways they could look at addressing the problem. One could be to look around the table and figure out who the head honcho is, and then use that person just to deal with that individual directly, or if they want, go ahead, depending on the size of the district, contact um, someone in the district office, perhaps the, dist perhaps the district special education specialist, and focus with that person on trying to get things resolved. Um, some people will say, well, you're not doing it within the IEP, and the response would be, yes, but I tried the IEP process and it was unsuccessful. Another mechanism is they have the ability to file with the Department of Education a compliance complaint, which means the law provides that my child's entitled to something or I'm entitled to something. The district is not doing it. Therefore, they must be ordered to do it. And in California, that investigation process takes 60 days. And the comparison I like to make is, do you need a police officer or do you need a judge? And what I mean is, if it's a very black and white issue, for example, 
you signed an assessment plan, they're required to hold the IEP within 60 days of receiving that signed assessment plan. And they don't follow through on that, that's very easy for the Department of Education to decide. If it's a more nuanced discussion, if it's, well, they're recommending 30 minutes a week of group speech for my child and my outside professional is recommending an hour of speech, uh, that is not something that they're going to decide. They really decide black and white issues. In that instance, you can file for a due process hearing and request that an administrative law judge, at least in California, decides that issue. Um, However, if you're going that route, that is definitely something you want to at least talk to an attorney about because it is a complicated process. And then if I can't, if there's time, I'll answer the second part. Or if you want to go to something else, Bill, I'll answer the second part. No, I definitely want to hear the second part. Okay. Um, (laughs) As far as when you might need an attorney, everybody's different. I would say some red flags in that process are um, my child needs help right away and no one seems to be responding. Uh, I am in disagreement with the district and cannot seem to to get it resolved or the district has taken action against me and I need to be able to defend myself. Those are kind of the three ways that you look at it. Um, Every lawyer is different. I'll I'll tell you what I do. Um, I will generally speak to anyone on the phone for a period of time just to kind of see where they're at. I may or may not be someone who might be able to provide further assistance to them. If I'm not, I generally try and give them some resources to look at. But one thing to be aware of in this context is I have through the years represented individuals who are actually attorneys, and they're very good at what they do. But when it comes to these matters, they do not represent their child. And I believe in part that's due because the emotional tie to the child, it's hard to be objective. But the other part is this is a whole different animal. And just because you know how to write a will or you can represent an individual in a personal injury accident does not mean you're competent to practice in this area. Right. And I I guess what might be uh, confusing, it's kind of confusing to me, and I I know it's confusing to families, is that it's not not just a single service. When when we're talking about uh, getting legal support, legal advice, it can range from uh, picking up the phone and saying, uh, Michael, we've got an IEP coming up. I've got, uh, I've got some questions. I need some orientation on, on these assessments or whatever, too. Uh, maybe coming to you with a draft document, someone saying, you know, I, I feel like they're out of compliance. There's some, you know, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to file a complaint, you know, all the way to getting to the thick of it when you're in due process. Can you maybe just give a flavor for how those different services might might look? You know, the, the, the range and the intensity of somebody uh, seeking the assistance of, of a lawyer? Well, I, I won't speak for, for how other lawyers act in this regard. I will tell you from my own experience, I generally tell people up front, I work with them um, based on the need that they have. For example, I have had individuals where the district does not know I'm helping the individual, but they have very well-drafted letters with a lot of legal citations in them for some reason. Um, At the same time, I have clients who are sick and tired of the district, and as a result, um, I have all the communication with the district. So the parents may have uh, a need, the parents' need for their attorney is going to be a function of what do they need the fine-tuning on. Do they just need some help understanding the process? Will it help, be helpful to have someone knowledgeable go to the IEP meeting? Do they need someone to contact the director of special education who's going to get respect from that individual? Um, it, it can vary depending on the, there There's no one plan for anyone, but therein uh, lies the issue for the lawyer to use their skills to determine the best approach for the family. And good lawyers will present to the family various options and say, you know, you have these one, two, three, or four options, and here are the pros and cons. And based on that information, the parents should be able to make a reasoned choice and feel comfortable moving forward. Right. Uh, you mentioned, again, kind of the director of special education or head honcho. You know, it, would you say if a parent comes to a meeting and that person is present, to say it's a larger district and, and, and the head honcho is there, should the parents perceive that as a good thing or a bad thing, or does it really not carry any meaning at all? That is probably a function of what they do. Where parents should be concerned is when you have members of an IEP team, the ones who are actually the soldiers on the ground who are working with the child, and they make determinations as to what they believe might be appropriate for the child, and those are being overridden or are being dictated by someone from the district office who does not know the child. 
that's when it should be a concern. Sometimes it's helpful to have the director of special education there because you do have school teams who kind of don't know what they're doing, and you can pull the director aside and say, you know what, let's just chat a little bit because I think you can see what I can see, and we need to get this ironed out because these folks don't know what they're doing. Right, right. Uh, well, you know, I, I really appreciate kind of the um, the amount of uh, just uh, of examples that you've given. I mean, I, I think for a lot of families, they view the the lawyer as as maybe the the last option, and when they've, like you said, sick of the district and they're hitting their head up against the wall and not getting what they want. But, you know, there's a lot more. I like the idea of drafting a letter with a lot of legal citations. To me, that sounds like a, a good warning shot across the bow that, you know, you're, you're talking with a family who, who, who does realize what their rights are and, and does have a lawyer. And sometimes that, could, that can get a lot going just in of itself, I'm, I'm sure. Well, Michael, thank you so much. We are uh, forever grateful for the advice you've given, and I... Uh, encourage people to uh, to take a look at your website and to uh, dig a little deeper in some of the resources that you have there. Um, quickly, are there any resources you would suggest families look at? Well, uh, rather than take time to, to cite the websites, um, you can Google the various organizations that are out there. Um, there's obviously Autism Speaks. Uh, local areas often have uh, chapters of family organizations. Um, for major universities, I would look at those universities that have distinguished autism programs. One would be UCLA. Uh, there is also um, American Speech and Language Hearing Association, ASHA's website, and then there's finally uh, Rights Law. All those could be helpful, as well as the state entities that are designed to either investigate compliance complaints or designed to hear due process hearings should have their own websites and have information and resources available on those. Uh, great, Michael. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to head to our break. I want to thank our sponsors, BDO, Autism Training Solutions, for all their support. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Parents of special needs individuals want to know if the care their loved ones are receiving is the best possible. We at Code Metro, developers of NPA Works, business management software for special needs providers, understand the unique necessities of running a successful organization. NPA Works helps free providers of tedious tasks like scheduling and insurance billing. Ensure your clinic is maximizing the time they give to your loved one. Ask if they use NPA Works. Visit us at www.npaworks.com to see how we can help. If you are considering how cloud computing might benefit your business, CenterBeam's Cloud Readiness Assessment can help. Our track record includes over a decade of service delivery experience, and our customer satisfaction leads the industry. We've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and can help you identify the best strategy for your business. Call today to get a 25% discount on your assessment, 877-710-8880. The assessment is yours to keep and will provide specific insight into how the cloud can work for you. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. And welcome back, Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, your host, Dr. Bill Freya. And uh, that was just a lot of information to take in in a, in a short amount of time for Michael Jewell. He's uh, phenomenal, and I think it gave it certainly gave me a lot to think about in, in terms of how to talk to families approaching their IEP and, uh, and how legal advice can, can take many different forms. And Michael has certainly done all of that, and I think that he articulated well when, um, when different levels of support are needed. 
there are a lot of good resources out there. Uh, Michael mentioned, uh, you know, getting on and Googling into some of those areas. And I wanted to uh, bring up one kind of specifically for the writing the goals of the IEP. I have found, and Michael alluded to it as well, that, you know, it's, it's very important how the goals are written um, for two reasons. They kind of establish what the expectations are. You know, this is what we're going to be doing with a child. This is what it's going to look like in, in the classroom or, or wherever the goal is being implemented, but also how it's going to be measured. And uh, writing a goal in a way that has an expectation that we're going to meet this goal when when it looks like this, when it's happening this many times out of this many times. However, however, it's written is a way that the team should be able to to envision and the family should understand what to expect. And there's one site that that, sta- that stands out. Uh, it's called rightslaw.com, and that's with a W, W-O-R-I-G-H-T-S. It's a nice resource for special, special education law, and particularly for writing IEP goals. And uh, when you go on there, you'll see there's a long list of topics as well. One of them is uh, autism spectrum. And when you click on that, um, not just talking about autism, but it actually gives case law. And um, so if you're looking for some stimulating reading and and just want to get some case law in front of you, you can uh, go to rightslaw.com and and they'll give you a lot of options. I, I, um, I actually really get into reading legal decisions on autism cases. It it can be pretty fascinating uh, if you're in the right mood or or maybe that's just me. I don't know. But one thing I think it does give you is uh, kind of a sense of uh, the gravity of the IEP. Uh, It's a legal document and how... um, when when things have not been fair for families that they've won a lot of very important uh, decisions. Um, so if you don't, you know, if you're not interested in reading a whole lot, I would at least suggest that you read one case that's on there under the uh, autism spectrum area. It's called Michael versus Kanawaha. That's a county in West Virginia. Uh, Michael versus Kanawaha, and uh, it's it's one that just I think uh, is a rich case that gives a lot of uh, a lot of detail. There are also uh, a dozen or so cases there on um, on cases for securing ABA services and autism spectrum therapies. Um, my company is an ABA service uh, oriented company, and uh, there's you know there's been a lot of legal battle to to secure ABA because you know it is timely and costly, and uh, districts sometimes don't have the resources or specialists to do that. And there's some cases talking about uh, what uh, what happens when they don't, and I think that's important for families to, to know also going into an IEP. I wanted to give a note on uh, some of our future programming related to education. If you're interested in educational topics and wanting to hear from educators, I just want to mention a few of our uh, upcoming guests. Uh, we'll have a guest on May 8th, Dr. Eileen Schwartz. Uh, she's a renowned specialist in early childhood special education. Uh, she's done some phenomenal research at uh, University of Washington and I uh, really look forward to talking to her. She can tell you what to expect in your child's classroom. Uh, we'll have a guest on May 29th, Dr. Phil Strain, who uh, also a renowned researcher. Um, I can't even tell you how many, uh, how many studies he's done, how many grants he's received um, uh, in the tens of millions for sure. Uh, just uh, uh, an ec- uh, outstanding specialist in programs for young children with autism. Uh, he has uh, developed some very specific methodologies for classrooms and has some good longitudinal research that I'm really interested in hearing more about. And uh, one, I'll give you a third as well. On June 19th, Dr. Lynn Cagle uh, will be joining us. Um, she's famous in the field of autism for developing specific educational and clinical methods, along with uh, Robert Cagle at the Cagle Autism Center, UC Santa Barbara, my alma mater. Uh, the Cagles were great mentors of mine and uh, fascinating the work that they've done, pivotal response training, self-management, uh, social skills. Um, so we'll dive into those uh, as well as some of the more recent stuff that uh, she's doing with Asperger's Syndrome. I just mentioned these three because they're uh, m- most certainly weave into today's topic and into the discussions we've had. Uh, but you can always go onto our website, autismtherapies.com. Uh, some, it's, sometimes people get that wrong because it's a plural, so I'll say it again, autismtherapies.com. And you'll find links to upcoming guests um, and some of the topics we'll be uh, diving into in the future weeks. Uh, and uh, I hope that today was helpful and there's an understanding of what it means to come prepared to an IEP. 
Um, and you should expect the district to be prepared too. And that's one of the things I think Michael was pointing out well. Um, if a district's not prepared, uh, then it's their responsibility to be prepared. And uh, it's sometimes hard for families to understand that that's something that they need to demand uh, and that there are options when, when uh, your child's future is at stake. And uh, districts have to get prepared with resources and expertise in autism to be able to fill their role and their legal obligation. And if you're going to take home some points from today, I would take home, I think, five critical ones. Make sure you have good assessments in hand and you understand them. Know what the needs are and what you're asking for in terms of goals. Um, if possible, understand what the district has to offer and don't sign anything until you understand where your child's classroom will be and who will be teaching them. Understand your rights, and rights law might help do that. And uh, don't wait until after the IEP to reach uh, to reach out to people, to find out who the advocates in the community, other parents who have gone through it who could be helpful, support groups, legal experts. Um, you know, and you have to understand that not, not every family, not every parent is a natural warrior. Uh, but you can probably find a parent who can sit with you and give you the power and the experience if you're in a position that you just don't know what to do. Uh, a dad once said something to me that was very powerful. Uh, he said, you know, Bill, we signed the IEP document the same way that we signed the escrow paperwork for our very first home. You know, we were not sure if it really was the right house for us. Um, we kind of liked it and, you know, went ahead and, and took the chance, and it turned out not to be the best house for us. And luckily, later we were able to uh, to look for another home and find the right house. And with the IEP, we signed something we weren't too sure about as well, but we were never able to get back uh, those years for our son. And in a lot of ways, it was time wasted, and we could have done better. I think that was a powerful uh, analogy, because uh, sometimes you're sitting in front of a document, and you're not sure exactly what, if it says what you think it does, but you have trust in the people that put it together. And you know sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I hope you learned something during this hour, and that you'll join us again uh, next week. And uh, I encourage you to go onto Autism Therapies. Dot com. Uh, next, for the next month, AST is going to be uh, giving individuals a platform to celebrate uh, a parent who loves, advocates, and cares for someone with autism. In honor of National Autism Awareness Month, AST would like to recognize the unsung heroes of autism. So if you know a parent of a child with autism who deserves to be recognized, we want to hear about it. So for more information, go to the AST uh, Facebook. Uh, you can search under Autism Therapies and um, learn more about uh, what we're doing uh, at autismtherapies.com. I enjoyed being with you today. Again, this is Dr. Bill Freya. I hope you can join us next week. We will be talking to Judy Mark, a parent, an advocate, an advocate, an amazing woman who's done some great work that uh, I'd love to uh, share with you. So please tune in. Uh, have a great Tuesday. We will talk to you soon. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Bill Freya, for another edition next week.